Well, hey there. Welcome to the Strong and Sculpted Podcast. This is Kim Constable, your host, also known as the Sculpted Vegan, talking about all things strong and, of course, all things sculpted. Okay, guys, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to talk about something which comes up quite a lot as a question for me in my groups and also on Instagram. And that is that people usually ask me or often ask me, what to do whenever their friends or their family or their significant other doesn't support them in their new fitness journey or whatever new endeavor it is that they are, you know, wanting to embark on. Sometimes it's homeschooling their kids. Sometimes it's a shred program that they're doing of mine. Sometimes it's something else. But it is very, very common. And I've seen it come up a few times recently in the eight-week butt camp, which we launched a new $10,000 competition, which started on the 7th of September. And I saw a couple of posts coming up in the group from members saying, you know, I really don't know what to do. You know, my friends and family are so unsupportive. My husband is so unsupportive. I haven't told anyone that I'm doing this. And I feel like this group is the only source of support and understanding that I have. And, and just as a little caveat, actually, that's why we have the Facebook groups, because sometimes, you know, well, often actually your friends and family or your husband or your wife or your significant other, just they just don't understand what it is that you're doing, embarking on this crazy double cardio, you know, strength training, meal prepping, time consuming shred. They just cannot see any point in it whatsoever. And it can be a very, very, very lonely and overwhelming place. And I know this personally because I have been there many, many times in my life. And I just thought this would be a great podcast episode because it's something that I have never really covered before. And um, I wanted to dive deep into that today. So before we get started, um, don't forget, we also do the podcast giveaway every single month where if you leave me a review somewhere that you listen to this podcast and then send me a screenshot of the review on Instagram as a direct message, my lovely uh, assistant, Christina, will choose someone to win one of our sculpt and ve Sculpted Vegan programs uh, at the start of each month. And so this is now in September 2020, and she will choose someone at the start of October who left a review in September. So leave me a review. Tell me, you know, what you enjoy about the podcast, what you'd like to see more of, how it touched you or changed you, and then send it to me as a direct message on Instagram. The Sculpted Vegan is my Instagram handle, and you can be with the chance of winning one of our Sculpted Vegan programs. Okay, so let's get started. Uh, how do you handle it when your friends and family don't support you in your new fitness slash business slash homeschooling, whatever goal? How do you deal with it whenever people don't support you? Well, I've told this story before on one of my podcasts, one of my earlier podcasts, and I had a couple of people write to me afterwards and say, oh my God, I was actually in tears listening to that story because I really had no idea. Because people do say to me a lot, you know, you're so lucky, Kim, because, you know, you had Ryan to support you or you're so lucky having such a supportive husband. And I'm like, no, guys, no, you do not understand. You know, everyone thinks because Ryan and I have such an incredible marriage, which we really do because we work at it very, very hard. But they assume that it's, it's very easy and that there's been no adversity. But actually, there has been a tremendous amount of adversity in our marriage which is why we're so strong, because we have grown through the adversity. Adversity is what causes people to grow. And so that's why our marriage is so strong. But in the beginning, whenever I first decided that I was going to grow myself a really good pair of glutes, Ryan was super supportive. He even 
took my or got my gym program that I had purchased online and he downloaded it and he printed it into a little booklet and he put like a picture of, you know, a really sexy girl's butt on the front of it and he had it bound for me and he brought it home for me one day and he was like, here, I printed out your gym workout for you. And I was like, oh my God, that is the sweetest thing ever. Like I was so touched that he had done that for me. So of course then whenever I went to the gym rather than having to look up my phone and having to, you know, Google the exercises and whatever, I was just able to open this little booklet and check out what it was I was supposed to be doing. So he was really, really supportive in the beginning whenever I first started because Ryan used to be a professional athlete. He he played rugby for his country, for Australia. And then he played for Saracens in London. Then he played for Ulster here in Belfast. And he now owns, or is a director in a global sports management company. He merged his company with many others to form a global brand where he is basically the Jerry Maguire of the rugby world. He negotiates contracts and sponsorship deals for rugby players. So he's always trained and he's very fit. And, you know, me going to the gym and, and sculpting a better butt was very attractive to Ryan. You know, he was like, this is great. I'm, I'm all supportive for this. Because at the time I was obviously a yoga teacher and I was doing a lot of yoga. So I was I was quite lean. I was skinny fat, quite lean, didn't really eat a lot at the time because I thought that that's what would keep me really lean. And um, well, it did, but it also made me skinny fat. And so whenever I started in the gym, Ryan was super supportive. But of course, once I got into the gym and I realized that this was my home. This was where I was supposed to be. I was like, this is where I was meant to be my entire life. Like whenever I started training in the gym and I started seeing my body change, I started lifting weights and I realized just how much I enjoyed the the struggle and pushing myself and whatever. Oh my God, it was just like, it was like, like I said, it was just like homecoming for me. I just knew that I was put on this earth to do this. And so then, of course, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I would quite like to do a bikini competition because years ago, I'd I'd never even considered doing a bikini competition until my sister who trained in the gym um, very regularly, as she used to train with with professional athletes or with these guys who just, who trained in the gym, but they also competed and she would have trained with them. Um, They kept saying to her, you should do a competition, you should do a competition. So then one day they kind of talked her into it and she was like, well, what would I have to do? And they were like, we'll prep you, don't worry, you don't have to change anything, whatever. So she she was prepping for this competition. She was going to do this bikini competition and I just remember being fascinated. I was like, oh my God, I would love to do that. This is before I was even training in the gym. I was just like, I would love to do a bikini competition. But of course, at the time, I had no fucking clue like how you would ever get to the stage or what that would take or anything about it. But as I watched her body changing, I watched her quads growing, her shoulders getting bigger. She was, you know, like changing how she was eating and that kind of stuff. I was just like fascinated by the whole thing. And I remember thinking, damn, I would love to do that. It was always in the back of my mind that I would love to do it. Now, Kerry actually pulled out of the competition about, I think, about six weeks beforehand. She was in the middle of her prep and she was like, fuck this shit, it's too hard. Can't be arsed with it. Her heart wasn't in it. She was only doing it because these guys had told her that, you know, she wouldn't have to change a thing and she would look amazing and blah, blah, blah. And she really, she just wasn't into it at all. So she decided not to do it in the end. And I was majorly disappointed because I was, it was Miami Pro, actually, the show she was going to do, the one that I did a couple of years ago. And uh, I was going to go with her to the show and everything and support her. But anyway, that's where I really decided... That's when I first really, you know, knew about bikini competitions and that kind of stuff. So whenever I started training in the gym, of course, then I started looking at bikini competitions and I was looking at bikini competitors online. And this was kind of in the back of my mind, but I was terrified to tell anyone. I was so scared to tell Ryan because I knew that, you know, well, I didn't know, but there's kind of a stigma. I think bikini competitors are, are, are competing in bikini competitions. Definitely in America has a much, it's a much higher caliber of, uh, sport than it is here in Belfast, especially. In Belfast, 
it's seen as a very, and I don't mean to come across as like a class system, but we are part of Great Britain and we do have a class system here, but it's seen as very, very working class, very lower class, right? Now, I'm not a class snob in any way, but I am very middle class, okay? But I'm not like, oh, she's working class and she's middle class. Like, don't be like, I dare you be elitist. I'm totally not. I'm just saying fact as it is. But over here, it's definitely not seen as an elite sport. If you play rugby or hockey or any of the, you know, the private school, you know, uh, I went to boarding school, yeah. And of course, there, it was all hockey and tennis and rugby and cricket. You know, if you play cricket, that's very much a gentleman's sport. Over here, bikini competition? No, not up there on the private school list of sporting endeavors. And my family are very middle class. You know, my my aunt is, you know, was uh, head of some division in our most elite golf club. And my mum's terribly middle class. And, and so um, I knew that if I came home and was like, yeah, I'm going to do a bikini competition, wasn't actually going to be met with an awful lot of excitement. And so when I knew that Ryan would react to you because, you know, standing up on stage in a sparkly bikini, especially when you do the back pose, like the back pose where you stand and you show off your glutes, it's, it's a, you know, now it's just such a bog standard pose. Like I don't even think about it. And in fairness, Ryan doesn't even think about it either. But whenever you first do that pose or your husband sees you doing that pose, the only time you ever see that pose is in a porn mag, right? That's the only time you ever see that pose is in a porn mag. And the girl's usually wearing either no knickers or very see-through knickers, okay? So I just knew that whenever Ryan saw this, he was going to be like, no fucking way is my wife standing up on stage in a sparkly bikini looking like a hooker. Definitely not. So, of course, whenever this was in the back of my mind, I'm like, hmm, gee, how can we position this so that uh, it's going to be met with the least resistance? Because it was something that I really, really wanted to do. And then one day I was like, you know what? I don't need to ask permission, right? I don't need to fucking ask permission. I am a 37-year-old woman. I can do whatever the fuck I want in my life, and I do not need to ask permission. So um, I decided I was going to do this bikini competition. I found a trainer. I still hadn't told anyone I was going to do it, but I messaged my trainer and I was like, I want to do a bikini competition. But I think it's just between you and I at the minute. And he was like, no problem at all. So I went to him with him and I started to train and I was going four or five days a week. And Ryan started to go like, why are you going to the gym? I'm like, five days a week? Do you really need to go five days a week? And so then we were having lunch one day and I said to him, um, Ryan, I said, I need to talk to you about something because I have decided that I want to do a bikini competition. And he said, no. <laughs> and I went, no, you don't understand. I'm not asking permission. And he was like, no, Kim, you're not doing one. And I remember being like, uh, excuse me. And he was like, no, you're not doing a bikini competition. He said, why? Why do you need to do a bikini competition? Why can you not just train? I was like, because I want to, Ryan, because it like it speaks to every part of my soul because I've always wanted to do it. It's something that I love. And he was like, no, you're not doing it. I was like, understand, Ryan, I genuinely am not asking permission. I'm telling you that it's going to be happening. And so he was like, well, we can talk about it later. And I was like, you can talk about it all you like, but I'm just telling you now that it's happening. So I started working towards this bikini competition. And from that moment on, Ryan became quietly resistant to my training. When I say quietly resistant, because he wasn't like, oh God, you're going off to training now. But he was, you know, registering his disapproval. 
every time I went to the gym and every time I spoke about it, you know, it wasn't like a topic of conversation. Oh, tell me how you trained today and what did you do and blah, blah, blah. He began to not want to talk about it, not want to address it, not want to look at it. And he didn't stop me from doing it, obviously, because Ryan knows I'm very headstrong. <laughs> if he wanted to try and stop me, he knew there was going to be a major problem. But it, it began to cause almost like a rift in our relationship because I knew it was something that he was not you know, supportive of. And I knew it was something that I just had to do. And so it, it it caused a divide between us in a way that we had never been divided before. And so I kept training for this competition, kept, you know, kept my eye on the ball. And then as I trained, as I began to train, I was like, you know what, I'm actually going to document everything I do. And I could start a business because I've told the story many times about how I went online and I thought, save me having to, you know, create all my own meal plans and macros and learn all that as a vegan. I am just going to buy a program from a vegan trainer online. And I'm just going to look for the bikini competition, diet training or whatever. And I'm just going to follow what they tell me because I'm sure it's on there, the prescriptive plans, whatever shirts on there. And I searched and searched and searched, did not exist. And that's when I went, holy God, ding, ding, ding. I am going to create this because it doesn't exist. So I started to create the Sculpted Vegan and it, it gave my training a whole other level of purpose. And so I was saying to Ryan, I was saying to my mom and everyone, I was like, I'm going to start this new company and it's going to be called The Sculpted Vegan. And I started my Instagram account, The Sculpted Vegan, and I started posting pictures and progress pictures and I would set them up and I would you know, spend hours with the camera, you know, taking photos and taking selfies and doing stuff, you know, and curating these photos to put in my Instagram feed. And I really started, you know, building towards it. And Ryan really did not like this, right? He was very, very resentful of what I was doing and where I was going. And, you know, and, and the photos I was putting on Instagram and the amount of time I was spending training and all of the rest of it. And then, of course, whenever it came closer to the show, the first show, I became relentless. You know, I, I didn't have any cardio machines or anything at home at the time. So I was having to go to the gym, train for an hour and then do an hour's cardio after my training and then come and then sometimes go and sit in the sauna and then come home. So when I went to the gym, which was five, six days a week. I was away for three hours at a time. Now, our kids were very young at the time. So it was... Um, I did my first show in 2017. This is now 2020. So Jack was only four. So our youngest was four and the spread was kind of age four to about age 12, I think. And uh, was Corey 12? No, Corey was 10. Sorry, age four to age 10. There's six years between our kids. So we had four kids between um, the ages of six and 10, uh, six and 12. I don't know when anyway, it doesn't matter. Young, they were all young, right? And uh, and he, you know, of course then he just was not, I was a stay-at-home mom and he just was not happy about this whole process. But here was here was the main sticking point or here, here was the problem, right? Ryan couldn't see my vision of where I wanted to go. There were zero upsides for him and there was only downsides. You know, we never spent any time together anymore. Well, we did in the evenings, but not much. And whenever, of course, whenever you're at home and you have four really young kids between the ages of six and 12, it's, you know, it's it's tough because, or six and 11, I think they were, it's tough because, you know, they're, they're constantly demanding and there's constant food to be made and house to be tidied. And we didn't have a housekeeper or a chef or any of the things we had. No, it was just the two of us at home. And these were all my responsibilities because Ryan's responsibility was working and earning the money. And he did very little at home because that's the way we'd always been brought up very traditionally. The man went out and worked and did very little at home. Ryan certainly never cooked or cleaned or tidied or did any of that. All of that was my responsibility. And I still managed to do all that. I never, ever, ever asked him to take on one single extra thing to do. Not one, because I was determined. I was like, well, even if you are unsupportive, I'm going to show you that I can do both of these rules at the same time. I was so defiant. So I never dropped the ball. But of course, the one thing that suffered was my time with Ryan. Now, 
on hindsight, if he had have just helped me a little bit at home, then we could have spent more time together. But of course, he was resistant and defiant of everything I was doing. So he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to seem to be supporting me. So, um, so I was, you know, I was, I wasn't with the kids as much. I was tired a lot. I was working all the time. I was having to stay up late because I was building the sculpted vegan at the same time. I was writing the programs and then I was having to do laundry and set up stuff for the next day for the kids and Oh my God, it was just absolutely exhausting. But the thing about it was, or my point that I'm trying to make is, people resist change. Ryan was resistant to the change because it wasn't benefiting him in any way. You know, he wasn't going to encourage me in what I was doing because it didn't bring him any pleasure at all. No pleasure at all. Ryan wasn't getting any of the pleasure from my training, none of the pleasure from, you know, me working towards a business. None, you know, all he, the, the only thing that existed for him were downsides downsides. My wife is never here. She's, you know, my life is disrupted. She's not looking after the kids the way she used to. She's expecting me to do more at home. How dare she? You know, my, my, the food isn't cooked as beautifully as it used to be before. And, you know, apart from anything else, I was, Ryan was just resistant to, you know, to me being much more, uh, what is the word I'm looking for out there on social media? Because whenever you're building a bodybuilding company, you have to show off your body. And men are very prideful and they're also very protective of their women normally. And they don't want, you know, there's there's, uh, there's this old saying years ago that, you know, there's two types of women that a man sees, the woman he screws and the woman he marries. And generally they're, they're two different, you know, obviously you have sex when you get married, but, you know, you, you see women, in, women are either marriage material or they're just take home to bed material, right? But the ones who are marriage material, you kind of don't want anyone else to see them half naked or whatever you want to protect them. And so he hated the photos that I was posting on Instagram. And in fact, I remember one day I posted a picture on Instagram. Um, I don't even know what I was wearing. I don't think, I, I, I never was sexual on Instagram, okay? Never like posted a picture of me like walking around pretending like I saw this girl today on Instagram. Oh my God, she drives me insane. Only she has the most incredible ass I've ever seen in my entire life. And I enjoy looking at her ass. I would just unfollow her. But she drives me insane because she is a fitness model. She's a professional. And she wore these, she, she was wearing this pair of denim shorts, right? Which literally cut halfway up her ass and vagina. And she was in a a hardware store with somebody videoing her from down below looking up to her ass and she was pretending that she was trying to reach something from the top shelf, right? It was like, you know that bit at the start of, uh, well, I was actually going to say that. I was like, maybe I shouldn't say this on the podcast. I'm going to say it anyway. You know that bit at the start of like a porn movie? Anyone ever here has ever watched porn? I enjoy a bit of porn sometimes. <laughs> you know that bit at the start where they, they do this really bad acting where they pretend to act, right? And, they, and you're like, oh, please just get on with it. <laughs> It was kind of like that, right? It's kind of like this really bad acting. Here I am, leading up or, you know, trying to grab this thing from the top shelf and like wiggling my ass into the camera. No, don't do that. Seriously, if you if you want to show off your ass, just go, don't I have the most amazing ass? And just show it. Don't pretend that you're not showing it because you're treating your audience like they're stupid. Okay, little side rant back to what I'm saying. I never acted like that on Instagram. On Instagram, I always just was me. I was just me on Instagram. And I I never tried to show any, you know, any nipples or I never was suggestive with lacy underwear. I never did any bad shots whatsoever. I was trying to show off you know, muscles and legs because I did not want to be seen as a sexual object. I wanted to be taken seriously, which is why now on my Instagram, 82% of my following is female. And if you see a lot of the big accounts of fitness models and you looked at their their split of following, you would find that like 80 to 90% are male and they're never going to purchase their programs. So I wanted to appeal to a female audience. Um, 
But Ryan didn't really see that. And then there was one day I posted this picture online. I can't even remember what the picture was, but I certainly didn't think that it was bad. And of course, Ryan reacted to it. And he liked to pretend that he 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 does he isn't re reacting to things. So I came into the bedroom and he was like, he was like, I don't see how that picture on Instagram is relevant to like what you're trying to do. And I went, what picture? What do you mean? And he said, I just don't see how it's. And he made some like disparaging comment about it. And I said, oh, well, I, and I didn't realize he was reacting. I thought he was being genuine. And I said, well, no, because my audience, you know, such and such or whatever. And I, and I, you know, justified it. And he said, uh, and he said, he said something else about it. And I said, what's the matter, Ryan? And he went, I just think you look like a dick. You just look like a dick in that photo. And I was like, really taken aback. And I went, thanks, Ryan. Thanks. Your support means a lot. And I just turned and walked out of the bedroom. And normally, whenever he reacted badly to my photos, I would take them down. Like he had this rule about no full frontal undie shot, right? Not allowed to have a full frontal undie shot. It's side shot is fine. Full frontal, not okay. Like I wouldn't, wouldn't be allowed to be standing facing the camera wearing a bikini bottom or underwear. Had to be side odds. We had all of these different rules about what I was allowed to show and what I wasn't. And in, in general, I respected them, right? Because I didn't, I didn't want him to be, you know, angry and upset about what I was doing. So I did respect those. And if he really reacted to something, I took it down. Even though I felt it was unfair, I did take it down. But this particular time, I was just like, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm fucking sick of this. Really? You're, and I was just like, it's not okay to speak to me like that. But here's the thing, right? And he did apologize for it, by the way, afterwards. Um, I was mature enough to realize at the time, and I was evolved enough to realize that his reaction really wasn't about me. It was about his rules and his social conditioning. So, you know, he had these rules or or even just a projection of the kind of girls that he liked to look at on Instagram. And he absolutely 100% did not want me to look anything like the girls that he likes to look, look at on Instagram because projectively he didn't want other men looking at me like that. He didn't want me, me to be a sexual object of objectification to other men in any way. It was horrifying for him that that would, that that may, or that that may happen. That may be a possibility. So he was just reacting to that. So I knew that it was absolutely nothing to do about me, but the thing is it still hurt, right? It still hurt. But my point is, if I hadn't been so strong in my desire to succeed, it may have knocked me off track. It may have made me stop what I was doing or, you know, his resistance and his, um, his, what's that word I'm looking for? They always say contempt. Like he spoke to me there with contempt. And they say that if they look at people who get divorced after a certain period of time, one of the consistencies in divorced couples is that they spoke of each other with contempt. They did these studies. And if someone has contempt for their husband or wife, not just like disparaging remarks or whatever, but actual contempt. That is quite often a very common theme in people who will divorce. And he really spoke about me in a way that I felt was very contemptuous and it really hurt. And but and if I had allowed that to affect me, it may have knocked me off track and I may not be where I am today. But I'm the kind of person who is pretty thick-skinned and who can you know, feel that something has hurt them, but not let it affect them. And I don't let it affect me in that it does hurt deeply, but it doesn't stop me. And instead, actually, his criticism, it made me more determined to succeed. And in a way, it made me harder because every time I had, you know, every time I met with resistance from him, every time I, I, tried to share something with him and he didn't really want to hear it or anytime he's, you know, he, uh, there was a couple of different times when he messaged me and he was like, you know, get that fucking photo off Instagram kind of thing. And, and, 
you know, and, and so I was constantly, every time I posted, I was constantly like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, is he going to react? Is he going to react? Is he going to react? Like this, I was living with this constant fear of going after what it was that I wanted, but also like worried about, oh, is Ryan going to react? What's he going to say? Is he going to be angry? Is this going to set him off? Is this not going to set him off? I mean, I kind of knew the ones that were going to set him off. It didn't stop me from posting them. Well, sometimes it did, but I kind of knew the ones that he was going to react to and the ones that he wouldn't. But I lived with this constant on one side trying to go after my goals and on the other side trying to manage Ryan's reactions to me going after my goals. And to be honest, it was just fucking exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting, but it didn't stop me. I I kept I kept going and dear God, am I glad that I kept going because look at, you know, look at where I am today. And I remember, I remember just like, I remember longing. I remember sitting a couple of times, you know, in those deep, dark moments whenever you just wonder, what am I doing? And is it all worth it? And am I ever going to succeed? And, you know, and there were times when I was starving, if I was prepping for a show or I was hungry, I was exhausted. I just wanted someone to hug me. I just wanted someone to put their arms around me and say, I understand you're doing such a good job. You know, you're, you're, I just, you know, just for someone to encourage me would have been just so, so, so lovely. And it was really, it was really hard not to get it, I'll be honest, because there wasn't one single person in my family, in my close circle of family and friends who was supportive of what I was doing. Not one. And I have a very wide circle of family and friends. Not my dad, not my stepdad, not my mom. I mean, some people were more vocal than others. Other people were just quietly kind of, oh, fuck, what's she up to now? We're not going to say anything. And others were just outright, like my mom was just like, when are you going to give up this horrendous thing that you're doing? I mean, when are you when are you going to, you know, oh, I just can't even think about it. I, oh, I can't even talk about it. My mom was so against what I was doing. And it was hurtful and it was hard. And I just would have loved someone one day to say to me, I believe in you. I believe in you, Kim. And I believe that one day you will make it. And I tell me your vision. Tell me your vision. Tell me where you want to go. Tell me what you want to do with this business. Tell me how you want to succeed. And I will support you. I, I want to I want to see what you see. I want to hear what you hear. Just to have someone close to you. Because loads of people obviously were saying, uh, you know, who didn't really know me or online. And I was, you know, all of these strangers that I'd never met were saying to me, you know, you're so amazing. I believe in you. This is so wonderful. I love following your journey. I'm so inspired by you. So I was getting all of this love from these strangers on the internet and these people I'd never met telling me how much I was inspiring them and changing their lives and, you know, and, and, and how wonderful that was. And then on the other side, the people who were the closest to me in the world, who I had to see every day and spend time with and sleep with and, you know, and eat and drink with no one supported me, not one single person. Not, and I just would have loved if one time, one somebody would have said, I believe in you. But you know what? It never, ever happened. It never happened. You know, and and it, in a way, it made me, in a way, whenever I finally became successful, and when I mean successful, I mean not only just the bikini competitions, because they were the thing, I really used those as a stepping stone or as a, a, you know, as a building block for building the business. I, it was for me, the be all, the be all and end all was never winning shows or standing on stage. I used that as a springboard for building the Sculpted Vegan, because ultimately my goal was to be successful financially. That was always my goal. I wanted to be successful financially. And that's where my vision was. And my vision was... 
um, my vision was you know, having the lifestyle that I have today, you know, earning a lot of money, being able to fly first class and, you know, and shop in Chanel and Louis Vuitton and be able to, you know, just to run my business, you know, and, you know, buy, you know, 80,000 pound cars and just to, I just, that's what I wanted. I, the thing, and the thing I guess that was upsetting for me was I knew that that's what Ryan wanted too. That's what he was striving for more than anything, financial security. I think that's a lot of people strive for financial security, but certainly it's important to Ryan and I financial security. And, um, and I knew that's what he was striving for. And I just wanted him to, I just wanted to say to him, I want the same thing as you. And I believe that I can make it. And if you just believe in me too, I know that we can get there, but he never did. And, and I guess now that I have made it, and he is so proud of me. You have no idea. There couldn't be someone more proud of me than Ryan right now. Um, you know, he constantly edifies me, talks about me, bigs me up to people. You know, he is so immensely proud of me for what I've done and also for how I take care of people. I take care of his family financially. I take care of my family financially. You know, I, anyway, that, but that, that's a side note. But at the time I would have loved it. But it just you have to be you have to be okay with not getting the support you have to be really 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 clear with where you're going and if you don't have that clear vision of of where you want to go and what you want to do you will be knocked off when the people around you aren't supportive of what you're doing you will you know wobble and think is it all worth it and and I should I really be doing this and if you but if you make their opinions of what you should be doing with your life more important than your own, you will never, ever, ever reach any level of success because you'll always be limited by what they believe is possible. If you limit yourself by what they believe is possible, then you'll never achieve any more than they believe you can achieve. If I had have limited myself by what Ryan believed was impossible, Ryan will tell you he never, ever, ever believed that I would be as successful as I am now. And I always believed it. I never for one single second doubted that at one that one day in my life I would be a self-made millionaire. I knew that I would and everything I did pushed me towards that goal. But Ryan never believed it. He he didn't believe it was possible because he'd never seen it done. I'd never seen it done, but I knew that I was going to do it. And but so if I had limited myself by what Ryan believed was possible or what my mom believed was possible, which are probably the two emotionally closest people to me in my life, then I would not be where I am today because I would have limited myself by what they believed is possible. I remember whenever I was prepping for my for my first show, I think it was, um, or maybe it was my second show, actually, I think it was my second show. And I was on a very, very, very strict diet because I really wanted to be super, super, super lean for my second show. And I was absolutely rigid with my diet, rigid and religious. Now, I don't need to be because I know that I can, you know, have a refeed on the weekend. I can have an extra, you know, couple of calories. I can, you know, have a slice of vegan chocolate cake at my mom's if we're having coffee on the weekend or whatever. I'm not religious anymore because I know that it brings up her issues and I know that it makes her, well, she doesn't so much anymore, but it used to make her uncomfortable whenever, you know, if she invited me for coffee and then I didn't eat the pastry that she had, you know, specifically gone and got for me that was vegan, then, you know, I knew that that would have, you know, made her upset. So, 
I, you know, eventually down the line, I chose the higher value of connecting with my mom over a cup of coffee and honoring the fact she had gone to make, to purchase this vegan cake for me. And I knew that it wasn't really going to make much difference to my, to my diet and to my life. So I just would have eaten it. But in the beginning, I was absolutely religious. And I remember going to family parties and I would bring my own scrambled tofu with me. I knew there would be salad there, but I would bring my own scrambled tofu with me and I wouldn't drink anything except sparkling water. And normally I was the life and soul of the party and I was throwing the gins into me and I was eating all the food and I was the one chatting and whatever. You know, my mom loved me coming to the family parties because I am a real, I'm a party girl. I love, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't like fall around plastered or anything, but I have a few drinks. Like I'm the kind of person that if you come to me and go, here, brought you a gin and tonic, doesn't matter what time of the day it is, where it is, I will never refuse simply because you've gone to the effort to bring me that gin and tonic. Well, I'm going to drink it with you. I like to connect with people on that level. So people know that. So whenever I would go to family parties, my mom, whenever I was whenever I was prepping, I would bring my own tofu, I would be drinking sparkling water, and I'd be eating salad. And oh my God, it made people so uncomfortable. And my sisters would have been like, you know, well, you know, you're, so you're not eating? You're not eating dinner? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to eat the salad. And they'd be like, well, what's that thing you brought with you? And why, why are you bringing your own food? And what, can you not just relax for a day? And my mom would be like, sure, Kim, surely you can just relax for one meal. Surely one meal isn't going to make a difference. And you know what? One meal wouldn't have made a difference, except that I had committed to myself that I was on this calorie and macro counted plan. And breaking my word to myself was worse than choosing to eat a meal to, to please my family. Because if I had have eaten that meal to please my family, then I would have been breaking my word to myself. And at the time, I hadn't really reconciled the two. Like I now I would go to a family party or I would go out for dinner because on, whenever we go out for dinner with my friends, especially when I'm on a shred, I'm on a shred at the minute, right? If we, we're, if we go out for dinner with friends and I don't eat, they get really like uncomfortable. They get really like, why are you not eating? Why are you not eating that? Well, can you not just, why are you not having a glass of wine? Whatever. So now whenever we go out, I don't say I'm on a shred. I think I just eat and I eat some carbs and I eat whatever because I want, the, you know, making the experience of the meal is more important to me than staying on track. But in the beginning, whenever I was learning all about bodybuilding and macro planning and meal planning and getting shredded and all of the things that I know today and take for granted because I'm many, many, many years down the line, it was important to me to stay on diet. But dear God, it made people really, really uncomfortable. But the thing is, people and people just didn't understand. They just didn't understand what I was doing. But here's the clinker, right? No one tried to ask questions to understand. Everybody just judged. So there's there's two types there's two types of people, right? There's people who ask questions to judge and there's people who ask questions to understand. So people would have been said to me or my family would have said, "Well, why are you eating that? Why are you not eating this? Why are you doing this? And what's your goal for this?" But they weren't really like, "So tell me." Like explain to me what it is that you're doing. I'm curious. I'm interested. Wasn't that they were they were asking questions to judge. They weren't asking questions to understand. But understand, judgment is just a projection. What do I mean by that? Well, most people see dieting as deprivation. Deprivation. They just, they don't understand that dieting is a choice and that actually oftentimes choosing to withhold from something feels better in the moment than indulging. It's character building. I mean, how many times have you ever broken, how many times have you broken your diet, right? You've been like, oh my God, this craving is so strong, so strong, so strong, so strong. So you just give in and you just like have the thing, right? And then you feel awful afterwards. You feel like shit and you beat yourself up and you go, why did I do that? Was it really worth it? And you start beating yourself up afterwards and you feel like shit. But you never, if you've, if you've withheld, right, and you've stayed firm to your plan and you've stayed firm to the promise that you've made yourself or your calories, your macros or your goal or whatever, you never feel shitty afterwards. When you abstain 
When you abstain from something and you don't indulge your craving, you feel amazing afterwards. You feel like, yes, go me. I'm so strong. I'm the kind of person who can do this. The craving's gone. You're like, fuck, I don't even know why I wanted that thing in the first place. Whenever you abstain, you get past it. It feels so, so, so good. But if people have never dieted or they've never worked towards a measurable goal or they've never abstained from something in the way that you do when you're on a shred, say one of my one of my shred programs or one of my bodybuilding programs, they just don't understand what you're doing. And they don't understand that abstaining feels better than indulging. Because for them, anytime they've practiced abstinence in the past, it's usually been for a negative reason or it comes with a negative feeling. So they look at you and they go, oh my God, you must be absolutely miserable. They must be, you just must be miserable because they can't, and they can't understand why you would choose to make yourself miserable because they look at you and they imagine if they were at a family party, because they don't know that you're working towards a measurable goal, or if they do know that you're working towards a measurable goal, if they've never done that and they don't know how that feels, then they really can't try you on. They can't project into you and they can't imagine why you would be abstaining. And so all they project is misery. They, projection is basically where you look at someone and you you imagine how they would be feeling based on how you would be feeling if you were in that situation. So they see you at a family party, not drinking, not eating, not indulging in any way. And they say, holy shit, if I had to be here today doing what she's doing, I would be miserable. I would be miserable on the inside. And so they go to you, they go to you, why are you making yourself miserable? And you're like, I'm not miserable. And they're like, you are, why are you doing this to yourself? You're like, why am I working towards a measurable goal that's going to improve my health, decrease my body fat and make me feel good and give me higher self-esteem? They're like, no, why are you just making yourself miserable? You know, So why are you doing this to yourself implies a negative. And you're like, no, understand, this is positive. Because once you've, once you've worked through one of my shred programs, you begin to build the data that actually abstinence feels really good and staying committed to a goal feels really good and working towards an end result feels really good. It may feel bad in the moment, but life is pain and life is suffering and life, you know, that's just part of growing, right? Training to failure, training your your body, your mind, discipline, dedication, all of those things that are a requirement, a prerequisite to being successful in any endeavor actually feel good. They may not feel bad. They may not feel good in this moment, but once you overcome that, then they feel good in the long term. And if you choose comfort, if you always choose comfort as your highest value, you will never, ever, ever grow. You have to learn to sit with the discomfort and not indulge it. Now, do we, are we fantastic at this all the time? No. I mean, I don't always, you know, sit with the discomfort and, and you know, I, I indulge too. Or I say, I'll just have one piece of chocolate or I'll just have this or just have whatever. Like I, you know, even when I'm on a shred, I'm not always 100% perfect, but I'm okay with it now. I've decided that, you know what, it's fine. I'm, I'm lean, I'm this and whatever, because I've done it so many times. I can tell by how my body's responding. I know it was leg day today. I know that I need to have some extra calories. I know that that vegan chocolate bar I just found in Christina's drawer a few minutes ago before I started this podcast just literally hit the spot and gave me a, a boost of sugar. And it was it said on it that it was, it was less than 99 calories a bar, which is even better. So I was like, 99 calories for a sugar boost before I, I record this podcast result. I was happy to eat it. And so now I know that I can do that. But the thing is, if you, you know, 
if you don't, and I don't do that all the time, I feel uncomfortable in the morning before I get onto the Stairmaster. I lie in bed drinking my coffee and I go, oh God, I can't be arsed to get on that Stairmaster. But I know I'm going to get up in two minutes and I'm going to put on my shorts and I'm going to put on my trainers and I'm going to go and walk on the bloody Stairmaster no matter how comfortable it is and I'm going to do it for an hour. And I don't let myself off the hook because if you always indulge your comfort and you make comfort your highest value, you're never going to achieve anything great in your life. And if you suffer over what you're doing, your friends and family will try to get you to stop because they want you to stop suffering, right? So if you're going, oh my God, this is so hard. I just, I wish that I could eat. I, I can't believe that I've come to this family party and I can't eat and I can't drink. Oh my God, I have to go out and do another, another cardio session. I can't believe I have to do that. If your loved ones see you doing that, do you know what they want to do? They want to stop your suffering. They're going to go, why are you doing this to yourself? Oh, this is so bad. You should be stopping this. But here's what they don't realize, right? And what you may not realize. Suffering is a choice. We can choose to suffer or we can choose not to suffer. Pain is a nerve firing. Pain is part of life. You cannot live in a human body and not experience pain. Pain is like sensation is pain. If you were to press your nail into the palm of your hand, it may not be sore now, but if you continue to press harder and harder and harder and harder and harder, it would get sore. But the minute you push your nail into the palm of your hand, even if it's just gently, that's pain. It's just a very, very, very low level of pain, but it's just a nerve firing. That's what pain is. But suffering Suffering is optional. Suffering is the meaning that we attach to the pain. Suffering is our response to pain. And indeed, actually, what we learn in yoga is that suffering is a discharge of pain. So we feel pain in our body and then we suffer to get rid of the pain. Even now, right? I'm still guilty of this, right? Even now, I was sitting here in my office and I messaged Ryan and I was like sitting here staring at my computer like, I can't be arsed to record this podcast. I'm not inspired. I have nothing to talk about. I haven't planned anything. I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. But apart from anything, I was just going, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired today. I had a mammoth leg session. I'm doing two hours cardio every day. I'm launching a new company, The Million Dollar Mentor, on Monday. I'm still running The Sculpted Vegan. I am physically and mentally exhausted, but I think it was the leg day today. I, Mark pushed me so hard in leg day for extra reps. I did 210 kilos on the incline hack squat for, uh, I think, eight reps. I think I thought he was going to make me go for 10, but he stopped at eight. And I, I'm just like, my whole body has just like, and I, so I messaged Ryan and I was like, I'm so tired. My legs are so sore. I'm sitting here trying to get the motivation to, to do this. Do you know what that was? Suffer. Suffering. Why did I have to message Ryan to tell him that I'm tired? Why can I not just sit here and recognize, oh, I'm tired? Why did I have to tell Ryan that I was tired? Do you know why? Because what I wanted to hear was, oh, baby, I understand. And, you know, when he messaged back, he, he was very good. He messaged back and he was like, oh, honey, I know. He's like, my legs are sore too. You're like, I totally understand. You know, come on, get it done. You can do this. We wee, wee bit of motivation pep talk. But, you know, and then I was like, okay, right, let's get this done. Then I gave myself, right, come on, Kim, excited state, excited state. I did some state control. I changed my state. I found a chocolate bar in Christina's drawer. I made myself a cup of chai tea and fuck, here I am. And I'm so glad that I'm recording this podcast because now I'm so full of energy talking to you guys. But su the suffering is optional. I used to say to Ryan before I did my... um before I did my bikini competitions, like if I was so tired, right? And I was working towards this show. Ryan's a professional athlete. He knows what it takes to train for, um, you know, as a professional. So whenever I was training for the bikini shows and I was doing my, you know, prepping or whatever, I would say, oh my God, I'm so tired. I really could not be arsed to do this second set of cardio. And Ryan would go, so just don't do it. And I go, 
fuck you. And he'd be like, no, seriously, don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do the show. Don't do the show. Just back out. And I'd be like, fuck you, Ryan. And he's like, no, seriously, don't do it. And I'm like, I used to walk out of the room going to my cardio because that's not what you want to hear, right? You want someone to go, oh, baby, and like blow a raspberry on your belly, like, well, you know, big raspberry, like, as you do with the child, and then put a bit of powder on your butt, you know, and no, oh, you know, and you could you, could you, could you. No, no. Ryan used to go, just don't do the show. And uh, sometimes I wish he would just give me a hug because a wee hug whenever you're feeling upset or you're just feeling like you want to be suffer, it does make you feel better. I totally understand. So I'm not saying that suffering is bad. I'm saying that you have to understand what suffering is, right? So we suffer, we suffer, like I, Ryan knows that I will never let myself off the hook. I'll go, oh, fuck, I can't be arsed to do this cardio. And he'll go, have you not done it yet? And I'll be like, no. And he knows that if I don't want to do it, I just don't want to do it. And he knows that I'm and me saying that doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it. And he knows that truly I'm not really looking for any kind of sympathy. I'm just expressing, I'm just discharging the pain. But the problem the problem is whenever you're embarking on, so say you're doing my eight-week butt camp program and you're doing two, two sessions of cardio a day, starts at 30 minutes a day. It's very easy. And, you know, in 30 to 45 minutes training a day, you're doing this. And if you're going to your loved ones, right, who are kind of unsupportive anywhere, like, what the fuck is she doing all this training and all this meal prepping and all this crazy counting and whatever for? If you live with one of those people and you're going, oh my God, this is so hard. I can't believe that I did this. Oh, that was the hardest workout I've ever done. Oh my God, I can't believe I have to meal prep on a Sunday. I have to go shopping again today. If you're doing this, you know what they're going to see? Hard, 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 hard. And they're going to want to shut you the fuck up. They don't want to listen to you whinging. Like, it's really irritating listening to people whinging isn't it? Whenever they whinge all the time. When we whinge of, oh, this is so hard, is fine. But see, whenever you complain and complain and complain, people don't want to listen to you. So they're going to want to stop you whenever you do that, okay? But also, you know, you have to understand that that pain is, pain is a part of life and suffering is optional. And how, let me just ask you something, how much richer would your life be if you learned to hold back on suffering? If you learned just to sit with the pain and say nothing. How much richer could your life be? How much more could you achieve if you chose joy, if you chose excitement, if you chose positivity in every moment and you were happy with your choices and you were mindful of your choices and you knew why you were doing what you were doing. Whenever you approach a goal with that mindset, people don't try to stop you. Like in the beginning, whenever I was launching the Sculpted Vegan and I was working for the bikini competition, and I was doing all that stuff. I never, ever, ever let Ryan see me suffer. I kept my head down. Any pain that I felt, any suffering that I felt, any discomfort that I felt, I kept my head down and I kept going. Do you know why? I never, ever wanted to give him the opportunity to say, see, told you so. It's too hard. Can't do it. I never wanted him to say, oh, well, why are you doing it if you're not enjoying it? I didn't want to give him any, any ammunition whatsoever. So when I was exhausted, when I was wrecked, when I was emotional, when I was upset, when I needed a hug, when I just wanted him to say, I believe in you, I never, ever let it show. I became really tough. Probably boarding school did that to me, actually, because you don't have anyone there to save you in boarding school. There's no parent to pick you up and, and hug you when you cry. So you learn very quickly to just deal with the shit that life throws at you and just to get on with it. That, that's what you learn. And so I never, ever let him see that I was upset about anything. And I just kept my head down and, and, and kept going. But I think that whenever, whenever you've it depends on who, it also depends on the kind of people that you're married to as to how much support you're going to get. Because whenever, if someone, 
Well, yes and no. This was a wee caveat I just decided to throw in. It's not on my notes, but I was going to say it depends. Like Ryan has worked as a professional athlete for a lot of his life. And so he understands the demands of working as a professional athlete. But actually, he would never have been supportive of me in the beginning because it just went against everything that he wanted from his wife, right? It just went against everything that he had wanted from his wife. He didn't want me to be posting half-naked pictures on Instagram because he was, you know, he didn't want other men looking at me. He didn't want his wife exposed. He didn't want people talking about him. It's very important to men that people don't talk about them. Do you ever notice that? You know, men are very much more like, they're very much more concerned with their image than women seem to be. And they're very much more closed and they're a bit more prideful and they don't want people seeing what goes on inside their lives or their houses. We've been offered so many reality TV shows. I wouldn't do it now, but you've no idea how many times the BBC have been after us trying to come and film. They want to see how we live our lives, how we, you know, homeschool our kids, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, you know, in the beginning, I would have, I, I was such like a media slut. I would have been like, yay, let's do it. And Ryan was like, no, 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 no way on God's earth is a camera coming into this house to video us. This is our private home. They're not coming in. I was like, oh, okay. No, I'd be like, same, same. I'd be like, absolutely not. No way. Some things have to be kept private. But, um, but I remember being out for dinner actually with a friend of mine, just as a wee final story about um, about why people judge you whenever they uh, they don't know what you're doing or why, why they try to stop you. I was out for dinner with a friend and she was on a diet at the time. Now, this friend actually owns a company which kind of rivals SlimFast. And she um, so she always struggled with her weight. They always say that your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. And her greatest weakness was that she always struggled with her weight, which she then she turned into a company um, which now helps other women with their weight worldwide, but she can't consistently keep her weight low. It, she, she does go up and down a bit with her weight. And so she had decided that she was going to get back down to a size 10, UK size 10, and she went back on her plan. And her plan includes, you know, prescriptive meals and shakes and this kind of stuff. But they're, they're ones that, you know, are, are you purchase the meals and then they are sent to you and you eat the meals on the plan. And so she was on plan and she had asked um, me out to dinner one night with the kids, she and her husband, and we used to spend a lot of time together. She was an unschooler as well. So we took all the kids out for dinner and we went to Wagamama and we were sitting in Wagamama and we ordered and I and so the waitress asked me what I wanted. I said, I'll have a seaweed salad and I'll have the tofu and I'll have this, whatever. And whenever I came around to Julianne, she said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not having anything. Thanks. I'm just going to have a black coffee. And I went, you're not eating? And she said, no, no, I'm on, I'm on my plan at the minute. I'm just having coffee. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we, you know, my food came or whatever, and I ate and, you know, everybody ate and the kids ate or whatever. And then whenever they came around and they said, do you want dessert? She was like, no, come on, we're going to take them for ice cream. And so we went to an ice cream place and, and I said, you're not going to have an ice cream? She was like, no, I'll just have another black coffee. And so she had a black coffee. And I, and I remember thinking afterwards, wow, I bet you that would have made other people uncomfortable because, but I, and I did have a moment whenever she ordered the black coffee of, oh, am I going to sit here and eat in front of her? Am I going to feel uncomfortable about this? Like I did question for a second, how do I feel about this? That she's inviting me out for dinner and now she's not eating. And then I was like, no, do you know what? I have prepped for many shows. I know exactly what it's like to diet. But in that moment, I had I had an understanding of what it must be like for other people in my life who felt uncomfortable whenever I was dieting. Because I, in that moment, was like, am I going to sit here and eat in front of her? Because eating with someone and being out for dinner with someone or being at a family party or that kind of stuff, it's, a, it's an experience that you share together. And if you can't share that experience with someone where you're in rapport with them and you're both eating and whatever, it, you're a bit like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a... Um, 
it's not as a, it's not as, you don't connect as much as you do whenever you're, you're experiencing it together. And so quite often people just want connection. They, they want connection with you. And in that moment I realized I was like, okay, so I could sit here and feel uncomfortable or I could choose just connect with my friend, even though she's not eating and she's drinking black coffee, because I realized in that moment that she abstaining from the dinner and just drinking the black coffee actually was making her feel good, right? Staying on track with her goals, no matter how hungry she was or how good the food smelled, abstaining from it and staying on track with her goals felt better for her than choosing to eat. And I totally and utterly understood understood that. And in that moment, I thought, well, I have a choice here. I can make myself feel uncomfortable and, and display that, which will then make her feel uncomfortable. Or I can choose just to be 100% comfortable with her decision. And I can just continue on as normal and chat and connect and, and actually go out of my way to connect with her even more and support her in her choices. Because in that moment, whenever you're support, whenever you are choosing to not make your comfort more important than the other person, you choose to support them. And in that moment, I was like, no, I'm going to choose to support her. But unfortunately, this doesn't happen. If I go back to my marriage and what happened you know, with Ryan and I, Ryan's, Ryan's comfort was more important to him than my comfort. So my comfort was, I want to, you know, grow this business, work towards this, you know, goal of standing on stage, grow this sculpted vegan business, make a lot of money and, you know, make us financially secure. That's what made me feel comfortable. What made Ryan feel comfortable was keeping me exactly where I was, a stay-at-home mom who wasn't half naked on Instagram, who people weren't talking about, you know, in our circles or whatever. And that would have made him feel uncomfortable. So unfortunately, whenever you start on a new endeavor and you are working towards change and you're doing something completely different, you can either choose your comfort or you can choose other people's comfort, but you can very, very rarely choose both. You can compromise, which we did sometimes, which I took down photos that he didn't like or whatever, or I tried to make it that I wasn't away at the gym at times that were inconvenient for him, or, you know, we we compromised and I tried to work around Ryan a lot because I didn't want to make him, you know, I didn't want to make his life a living hell. I didn't want to certainly, you know, upset our marriage because it would have made me uncomfortable for our marriage to be upset. So I, 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 I was seeking comfort every single turn without giving up my goals and what was important to me. So people, and I think guess what I want to say is it's important to recognize that people who try to get you to stop what you're doing, do it for one of two reasons. Okay. So reason one is you upholding yourself shines a light on where they are not either upholding themselves or succeeding. So for example, in Ireland, Drinkers hate non-drinkers. We don't hate non-drinkers, but if you go out for a night, say you're all like, yay, we're out a night out and we're partying and someone says, oh, I'm not drinking, I'm driving. Everyone's like, what? What do you mean you're driving? Oh, leave the car. Come on, you have to drink. Don't be, you know, don't be driving. And they try to stop you from driving because they want you to drink with them, right? Now, and this could be because one, they just want to connect with you more because as they get drunker and their behavior gets worse and whatever, then suddenly you're like the sober, judgmental one who can, you know, see all of the shit that's going on or whatever. And they just feel kind of out of rapport with you. But also sometimes drinkers like people to drink with them because then they don't have to look at their own drinking. If I drink a lot, right, and you're drinking with me, then I don't have to look at the fact that I drink a lot because we're drinking together and you're as bad as me. And and, the, and I was going to say misery loves company, but it's not misery loves company. It's more like drinking loves company. Okay. 
But if you if you stop drinking, right? If we if we're drinking buddies and we go out partying together and we, you know, don't exercise and we eat a lot of junk food and that's our thing that we do together, and then suddenly you start becoming super healthy and exercising and you know and watching what you eat and and living a completely different lifestyle, where suddenly you've created a separation between us. Now, now we're not drinking buddies. Now we don't have that that thing in common that we do anymore. And either I have to look at my own behavior as to you know suddenly you're being all this healthy person. I have to look at where I'm really unhealthy. So you're shining a light on where I'm unhealthy or where I'm not succeeding and being the best possible version of myself. Or second reason, you upholding yourself makes them uncomfortable because of their own projection. So they look at you and they say, you're punishing yourself. You're depriving yourself. You must feel miserable on the inside, right? They can't see how you choosing a life that's healthy or choosing to do two cardio sessions a day plus a weight training session a day or choosing to, you know, to feel hunger over feeling full if you have no calories left to eat that day. They they feel that the only way they would be they would be actively or mindfully making themselves uncomfortable is if they were miserable. And they can't understand what that you're doing it for a higher good, that you're actually that you're abstaining and you're you're um, you're not choosing comfort in the moment for a higher good. So what or whatever reason, whatever their reason for doing what you're doing would be, they project that onto you. So it's just a projection. But usually, usually it's just people don't want you to do something different to what you're doing simply because it causes a disconnect between you and between them. And because they then have to evaluate or look at their behavior and what they're not doing. It's not always that, but quite often it can be that, or it could be in the case of Ryan and I, that they just don't want things to change. You are triggering the deepest parts of them that, and it's making them uncomfortable and they want you to stop doing what you're doing so they can stop feeling uncomfortable. None of these things are about you, understand. But what you have to ask yourself as a final point is, what really is the most important thing to you? Is it making others feel comfortable and keeping them safe in their in their view of life and in their little bubble and, and causing them to feel, you know, allowing them to, to keep feeling okay, to not have any adversity in their lives and not grow. Because understand, Ryan and I grew a tremendous amount through all the adversity that our marriage has suffered. Through me constantly pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to grow, Ryan has been forced to either grow with me, reevaluate his whole belief system and grow with me, or to get divorced. Because it, someone can either, if you keep growing and growing and growing, someone has the choice to either grow with you or to go their separate ways. Now, Ryan does not obviously, well, he does actually train with me now, but that that isn't what, whenever I say grow with me, he didn't like start doing what I do, my lifestyle, but he chose to support me in what it was that I do, was doing so that we could grow together. But change makes people uncomfortable. And that's really the crux of what it comes down to. Change makes people uncomfortable. So what can you do about it? You can just recognize it and just honor it. Recognize it and honor it and don't try to change it. And certainly don't try to change your behavior to make others feel more comfortable. One thing I have learned in this life is that 
that the road to success is a lonely, lonely path, especially if you are doing something different to what you normally do or different to what the rest of the population does. Understand the world wants to keep you small. People want to keep you small in your box, following the rules, doing what they do because it makes them feel comfortable when everything is predictable and the same, and you're doing what they are doing, it keeps them, it makes them go, okay, so I'm safe, I'm comfortable, what I'm doing is the right thing, because everyone else around me is doing it, so that's okay. Whereas once you start to do something different, and you start to grow, and you start to act differently, that just causes people to feel extremely uncomfortable, and you have to recognize that, and recognize that the only way to achieve great things in life is to keep going despite people feeling uncomfortable. You have to have a really strong vision of where you want to be and why. That vision could be where I want to be in four weeks, where I want to be in eight weeks, whether where I want to be in 18 months if you're working on one of my Sculpted Vegan programs, or it could be where you want to be in four to five years, where you want to be in 10 years. You know, my goal used to be I want to have a multi-million dollar company. Now my goal is I want to have a billion dollar company. Yes, a billion dollar company. Why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? I'm only 41 years of age. I've got hopefully another 40 years of work in me. Like if, if it takes me till I'm till I'm 60 or 70, well then so be it. I want to have a billion dollar company. And that vision is going to keep me going now. And I'm going to keep working and working and working towards doing it. I don't want to have a billion dollar company. I want to have several companies, several companies. I have another, launching another company on Monday, the Million Dollar Mentor. I have another company that I want to launch next year. Already have my, I just have too many ideas. So you have to have a very strong vision of where you want to be and why. And here's the thing, you don't need to explain this vision to anyone else. I say to people now, well, I said to Ryan the other day, I want to have a billion dollar company. And he doesn't, he doesn't scorn at me anymore. He doesn't go, oh, fuck's sake, a billion dollars. He goes, well, girl, if anyone can do it, you can. Like he believes within me now that anything is possible. I had a, it's funny, I had a, 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 I was, my accountant messaged me this morning and she, um, she said, can you call me on your way home from the gym? And I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So I rang her whenever we were driving home and I said, did you get my financial projections? Cause she asked me, we've just sold a company, right? And, um, and she wanted to to see the, uh, well, so I sold my company. I've only just registered as a limited company this year. I sold my sole trader company to my limited company, which is which is very legal to do over here. Um, and so she wanted to see some financial projections so we could get a valuation of the company. And we actually valued it at two million pounds, actually, which was amazing because it's less than three years old. And anyway, I sent her the projections. She said to me, um, I, she said, oh, yeah, I, I, she goes, I scaled them back a little bit because, you know, I'm an accountant. And I laughed and I said, you know, I was already conservative with those projections. And she laughed and she said, well, I thought maybe the three million, you, you know, you wanted to make in the launch next next March was a little ambitious. And I was like, no, no, understand, Siobhan. I said, I'm going to make six million in that launch. And she was, she laughed and she said, well, Kim, she said a couple of years ago, if you had to come to me and said that, she goes, when you came to me with these big ideas of what you wanted to do, I did have a wee bit of a laugh to myself. She goes, see now, I never question anything that you say. <laughs> and Ryan was laughing. He was beside me in the car, but it's true. She laughs all the time. She says, I came into your office with all these big ideas of all this money I was going to make and these things I was going to launch. And she said she was just like, mm-hmm, seen this before, all these ambitious ideas. She said she didn't believe me. And she has watched me achieve and surpass every goal I have set for myself in the last two and a half years that we've been working together. And she's like, believe me, Kim, I do not doubt you anymore. If you say something's going to happen, I fully believe that it's going to happen. And I guess that's, that's a kind of final point that I want to leave you with here is that you don't need anyone else to have your vision. 
Okay. You don't need anyone else to have your vision. And if they do seek to understand and they ask you questions, then by all means explain. But you don't need to explain to get their approval. And that's the difference. If someone seeks to to judge you, if they ask questions to judge, then don't explain to them what it is you're doing. And if you need someone to support you to achieve your goals, then unfortunately you're making yourself dependent on that person and you're limiting what you can achieve by their perception of what is possible. I'm going to say that again. If you need someone to support you to achieve your goals in life, you're making yourself dependent on them and limiting what you can achieve by their perception of what is possible. And if you do that, you will never, ever, ever be successful. Never be successful. You have to have a very clear vision of where you're going. You have to truly believe in it, taste it, feel it, see it, and then you have to just go for it. And do not focus on those around you and what they believe. Is it is it a lonely, lonely path to success? Yes. I'm not going to tell you that it's any different. It's not. Oftentimes you will find people in your life who will support you. Maybe you're like, here, Kim, this is, I just appreciate my husband or my wife so much now because, dear God, you know, I they are so supportive of me. And I'm I am so glad that this is not the case for me because, like, I know I have couples who, you know, friends or whatever, and they're so the husband is so supportive of anything the wife wants to do. He just worships her. That's not my husband. He well, it is now, of course, but in the beginning, he was very cynical and very um, very data-driven. And, and I understand why, because I'd never built a bloody company before. And all the companies I'd ever built had only cost him money and failed. So he had no data that I was able to succeed. And, but all I had, and I had no data either, all I had was a belief, a belief that it was possible and a vision of where I wanted to go. And when I realized that I wasn't going to get any support from anyone close to me, anyone who loved me, I just had to go it alone. And I had, just as a final point, I had lunch with my mom the other week. I took her out for lunch and she said to me, she actually apologized to me. She said one thing, she said one regret that I have, she said, is that I never came to see you compete in any of your shows. And I said, you know what, mom? I said, I, it's, I forgive you. I said, but it is one of the things that truly, really hurt me because not only did she not come and see me compete, she never sent me a good luck message or a well done message. She she was so embarrassed by my decision or uh, c to compete as a bikini athlete that she just could not bring herself to support me. And she now says that she regrets it because she realizes that every decision I made was strategic to build the business. And she knows now even on Instagram, she'll message me and she'll be like, oh, who's trolling you now? Or I'll put things up on Instagram and she'll go, I know that you've done that strategically. That's for a reason. And it's because of this. And she sees my strategy. Like I, everything I do, I do mindfully and strategically based on data and feedback that I get from my followers. But that's how I choose the content that I put up because I listen very, very, very carefully to my community. So she did apologize to me and she said, I'm really sorry. And I said, it's, it's something that I really wish we could have shared. I said, but I understand your reasons. You just couldn't bring yourself to support me because it just triggered you so badly. And she said, I know it really did, but I do feel really bad. I should have supported you. I said, well, lucky I didn't need the support. <laughs> lucky I'm so defiant and I was able to do it anyway. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what I would, what, what I would say. Just have your vision and keep going. And actually, I want to leave you with some words from Gandhi, although I've heard recently that actually these have been attributed to Gandhi, but they are apparently not Gandhi's words. So um, I've only ever known them as Gandhi's words, though. So I'm going to attribute um, this quote to him. But it's something that I've always, always, always held true. And I want you to really try on what I say. And I want you to, to keep this close to you because it's it's very, very, very relevant to what we've been talking about today. So Gandhi says, first, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. 
then they fight you, and then you win. You have to go through all those stages. You have to go through all those stages. I went through all of those stages with my followers, with building the business, with people close to me. Ryan ignored me, first of all. Then he laughed at me and called me a dick. Then then he fought me in many ways and just got angry about what I was posting, what I was doing, and how much I was training. And then I won. And boy, did I win big because I never gave up. I never gave up. And I'm winning every single day now because I've broken through needing needing the approval of others. I've broken through it. I've realized that it won't get you where you want to go. And in fact, you don't need it. I think I believed I needed it. I think I believed that if I really, really, really wanted to be successful, it, you know, I that if I had Ryan's support, that it would be better for me. But what I was really saying to myself was, I want him to be there if I fall. I want him to be there to catch me if I fall. I wanted a safety net. And I knew that if he supported me, that I would always have that safety net. But actually, not having that safety net of his approval, me, it put a rocket up my ass and made me work really, really hard and made me determined not to fail because I knew that nobody would be there to catch me. So, so yeah, so first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Always remember those whenever you're going with those words, whenever you're going through this, if you're going through this with people who aren't supporting in your life and just remember something before we finish. Okay. Just remember this, take these words with you. I support you and I believe in you. And we may never have met we may never have met. We may have met on Instagram. We may have messaged each other. We may have met on Facebook. You may be in one of my groups. We may we may have met in person. We may not have met in person. But I want to tell you something now, okay? That anytime you ever doubt yourself or anytime that you feel that you need approval or you're feeling upset or you're feeling sad or you're feeling that the ones around you just don't um, understand you, know that I support you and I believe in you. And I believe that you can do whatever ever it is that you want to do. I built a multi-million dollar business in under three years while homeschooling my four kids and standing on stage as a bikini athlete seven times, winning my pro card and competing in the world championships. And believe me, if I can do that, you can do whatever it is that you set your mind to. And I know that you can because I am not limited by a very small perception. My perception of what is possible is enormous. So anytime someone doesn't believe in you and they tell you that it's not possible, you say, Kim Constable told me that it is. And I'm going to choose to believe her over you. And if you ever want to send me a message on Instagram, DM me and say, Kim, I need you to tell me that you believe in me because I need to hear that today. And I will message back and I will say, I believe in you. I promise you I will because I message. I always reply to my message on Instagram. So get to it, athlete. Get to it, soldier, whatever that thing is that you that you want for yourself, you should do that because life is short and you don't get very many opportunities at it. And you have everything that you need inside you right now to succeed. You just have to believe that you can. So there you have it. Motivation 101. Motivation on steroids, eh? <sighs> this is the emotional one for me again because, you know, it's my personal journey. It's a very, very, very emotional story for me to tell because it is my personal journey, you know, and it is, and it was hard. It was hard, hard, hard for so many years. It was like, fuck, I had to go through the valley of despair to get to the other side. But I did it. I'm still here to tell the tale. And life is very, very, very sweet, I can tell you. 
So don't forget to leave me a review on the podcast. Send me a screenshot of your review as a direct message on Instagram. You could be in with the chance of winning a Sculpted Beacon program of your choice. We will announce the winner at the start of October. Have an absolutely incredible rest of the week wherever you are. I love you and I believe in you. Go get them, Tiger. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye for now.